You'll always be number one in my heart and the hearts of millions of Star Trek fans. Actor Jonathan Frakes beams into Calgary for the upcoming Calgary Expo next week. He'll be snapping pictures and signing autographs Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And he's taken time to join us this morning. Good morning, Jonathan. It's a privilege to speak with you. Good morning, Reese. Nice intro. Hey, thanks. Well, you know, you're best known for your role as Commander William T. Riker on Star Trek The Next Generation. What was it like working on this beloved series, this beloved character? Did you ever expect it would have the cultural significance this long after it aired? We never dared hope, as LeVar said the other day. It's 36 years ago we started on this show. Yeah. Then we did uh, 182 episodes, and we did four movies, and then we thought we were done. And here we are especially this season three of Picard, mm. we've all been gathered bit by bit by bit. And uh, last week, all of us walked back out onto the bridge of the Enterprise D again. And it was a, uh, as you can well imagine, a motion, an emotional reunion. <laughs> Absolutely. I was watching it and getting goosebumps, and I don't think they've gone away yet. Oh, the reaction has been surprisingly warm. I think the combination of, of nostalgia and familiarity and frankly the age of the characters and the age of the actors has informed it and the writing has been brilliant so that hasn't hurt so it's it's been lightning in a bottle for us and uh, I couldn't be happier so what was it like taking up the mantle of William Riker again when you took on Picard you know in front of the camera behind the camera was it just like stepping into an old pair of shoes well it actually wasn't I remember in season one the, the mighty Michael Chabon wrote an episode in which Picard brought uh, Sonny, Sony mm-hmm. back. He had sort of a surrogate daughter to visit uh, Riker and Troy, who had left Starfleet and moved to a planet called Nepenthe with the hopes that their son would be cured. And their son, Thad, unfortunately died, and they lived there with their brilliant daughter, Kestra. So we fast-forwarded through that, before we shot that, I had just, I'd been directing Patrick on the show. I'd been doing a lot of directing, but I hadn't acted in about 10 years. And I knew that Patrick's was running on all, on all cylinders. And Marina, who plays Councilman Troy, Marina Circe's, had just closed on the West End starring in the show in London. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to get buried by my cohorts. <laughs> so I was uh, a nervous wreck until I looked, you know, Riker looked into the eyes of Picard and Riker looked into Troy's eyes and all of a sudden, it did feel like what you said. It did feel like we were putting on comfortable shoes and in a familiar territory. We spent a lot of time together. Absolutely. So, and by the time season three, whether it was intentional or not, the information from that story in which Riker had lost his son, and as you know, in season three of Picard, he discovers that he has a son. Yeah. And he's handling it in a way that really disturbs Riker and he, he lets him know in, in no uncertain terms, I've lost a son, you found a son, don't f*** this up. And that's very much the way that uh, the conflict begins. And on Star Trek, as you've watched for years, conflict is not something that usually happens among the crew. So it's uh, been a very exciting time as an actor, as a director. And uh, I, I give all credit to Terry Metalis and Alex Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman, who, who've been writing the show. It is really, really in good very, very strong shape. Absolutely. You know, that's such an interesting point that there wasn't much conflict between cast members on the original series, the Star Trek The Next Generation, and then you've kind of been able to 
changed that narrative in Picard. Why was that such an important change to kind of flesh out those characters a bit more? I think it was important to make the storytelling more interesting. I think in specifically to the Riker Troy and Riker Picard story, the fact that we had lost a son, and I think historically couples who lose a child have a rough patch in their marriage. And in mm-hmm. Picard, Troy and Riker are sort of on the rocks. And also the experience of having lost a son only heightens the interest and the protection that he wants his friend Picard to take advantage of the opportunity of having a son. So there is all that informed that the Riker and Picard arc and the Riker and uh, Troy arc. While at, all around us, Worf comes in and now he's a pacifist. Jordy comes in and he doesn't want us to, uh, who doesn't want to put his daughter in danger, who also happens to be in the ship. Yeah. There's all, and then Troy comes back and, and, She's taken hostage. There's so much good storytelling that creates good drama based on the on the conflicts, the inherent conflicts. Yeah, and this season, like you're saying, it's basically kind of like a family reunion. And, you know, when we're watching our favorite shows, we like to think that everyone just gets along. Have there been challenges for you being in front of the camera as well as directing your friends on this series and other series that you've been at the helm at? Well, they're pretty used to having me around as a director, and yep. um, it's uh, we have a good shorthand. Often, when I was directing on the show, Lavar is a wonderful director, and Patrick as well. I would look to them, or I'd have a have a relationship with my cinematographer where we have a shorthand that you know, if if I'm doing something on camera that clearly needs another take, we don't need to discuss it. We don't need we just go and and fix it. So there's a um, and also, I generally have a plan, which is, I think, the key to making television is that you do as much of the work during your prep weeks as you can so that when you get to the set, you've got a game plan, you've got a shot list, and, um, you know, you can vary from it. But if you have a plan, generally the crew and the cast feel like that, um, We're let's try to execute the plan, unless they completely disagree with it or they pitch something better, which I'm always happy with. Mm-hmm. You, my feeling is you can't show up and say, okay, let's see, where shall we start? Nobody wants that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I was digging up trying to find some an interesting tidbit for this interview, and not a lot of people might know that you have a connection with the band Fish. Is it true that you have a Fish gold record, and how did that all come about? Oh, what a great question. Probably my best credit. <laughs> I used to live next door a producer named Paul Fox who produced R.E.M. and Bjork and Jacob Dylan and Fish. And they rehearse in this room that uh, was in the front of my place. And it turns out that the Fish guys, they were massive trekkers. Mm-hmm. And who I played trombone. So they invited me to play on their album. I was over the moon. Paul says, we'd come up Saturday, we'll go to the studio. So I took my trombone out, went to the studio out in the valley, and the charts were up in the music stand and I went into the booth. And when I tell you it was beyond my level of playing, it was, first of all, it was like four sharps. Secondly, it was all high top range. My lip was not up to it. My embouchure was not up, but my technique was not up to it. So I attempted these, uh, these charts, which were very, very intricate. And I choked, you know, I, over and over and they said, okay, let's try again. It became very clear within 
four, five, six, seven takes that I didn't have the chops needed for this this track for this um, cut. So generously, they uh, we had we had a nice lunch. I went home. They hired the wonderful trombone player from Tower of Power. They got what they wanted, and then the album comes out, and it's a little track on the album called Riker's Mailbox. This house that I lived in, right next to Paul's house, had one of those mailboxes that was uh, painted like a cow. You know those mm-hmm. they one looks like a largemouth bass. Sometimes yeah. This was a cow that had been hit by so many cars because of this skinny little street. So it was dented and it was a very significant landmark on the street. So the cut of my outtakes on that hoist album is called Riker's Mailbox. And because of that, I'm on the album. And because Paul was so generous, I have a gold record. There's your story. That's awesome. And now I, like I live that. In, down the street from John Fishman. Nice. It all just comes back around. It sure does. All right, so you are beaming into the Calgary Expo next week here. What keeps you motivated to go to these fan expos, to meet everyone that um, has such an affinity for you and your work? The thing about the the, uh, conventions is that some people don't realize we're the ones that win, especially if you're a Star Trek actor. What happens is that people come to our table and they share with us what Star Trek has meant to them. They're, they're spending their hard-earned money to come and see us. And generally, they say, I've become a doctor because, or I've become an astronaut because, or a, a physician, or a mm-hmm. astronomer. Or, or they say, um, I got through the PTSD from Afghanistan because, or they say, the only time my father was ever civil to me was when we watched Trek, or helped me through recovery with drugs and alcohol. There's something about the power of Star Trek that the fans come and feel safe enough to share with us. And that's kind of a gift, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So if they feel they, they want to tell us how important the show has been, and I say, well, it's, it's obviously the writing that, you know, we're just the actors who said the word. They said, yeah, but you represented, I wanted to be like Ranker, you know, and it's, um, it's really empowering and uplifting. And in addition to that, if you go to a convention, as we will in in Calgary next weekend, there'll be somebody there that um, I haven't seen for a while from another show or from Mm. from the con, from the circuit. And we'll be able to have coffee or we'll be able to have uh, dinner or something, you know. So there's there's this aspect of uh, the bigger family, the wider genre family or the con family, if you will. I mean, I see people that I've worked with on other shows. So there's, there's a certain umbrella that covers all of us who go to these things and you 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 have friendships there that you may not see them for years and you say oh man i remember how are you doing and then do you want to get up coffee before we go to you know that kind of thing yeah. so it's a uh, it's got and and you get paid and you get to see a great city and calgary is one of our favorite spots the food's great the people are great it's a hugely successful convention because uh, it's been going on, so it's so well organized, and, and it's you know, it's, you know, it's a big one. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to seeing you in town next weekend. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this morning, Reese. The pleasure has been all mine. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye.
That was actor Jonathan Frakes. He will be beaming into the Calgary Expo next weekend. You can catch him Friday, Saturday, and Sunday live at the Calgary Expo. Head over to fanexpohq.com slash calgaryexpo to get your tickets. For QR Calgary, I'm Rhys Schaefer.